Welcome to the Aperio Foundation's Open Academic Environment Podcast, where we talk to authority figures from educational technology, academic research, university management, policy makers, to teaching and learning. This is our inaugural first episode, and we're celebrating it with a, a very interesting interview. It's um, with someone who has a lot of insightful experience and perspectives on technology and higher education. He is someone who I know is very passionate about pushing the boundaries of what technology can do, not only for higher education, but specifically for research collaboration. Nicholas Mathis is a project lead of a worldwide open source initiative of which this podcast gets its name. He's also someone who is capable of building and delivering on institutional IT strategies uh, in which he usually helps shape. So welcome to the first of a hopefully long interview series, Nico. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> um, now, just beginning where you feel is relevant, could you just give everyone a bit of information about yourself and a bit of background into how you came to lead such a collaborative project? Um, it's it's been a it's been a long road. Um, so I um, I did a computer science degree back in Belgium, and then. Um, as part of the final year, we we could do an internship, uh, and I chose to do a foreign internship, and I went to to carry it at the University of Cambridge, mm-hmm. um, which turned out to be um, a sort of life changing choice. Um, I stuck around there after after my internship. They offered me a job, I uh, and I started to be, become involved in the um, in the Sky project and some of the other uh, open source higher education projects like the Fluid project. Um, and then I I took a small break to do my um, to do my postgraduate degree, but then uh, when I came back, the uh, the Sakai three project was kicking off uh, in in all earnest, and then um, I sort of rolled from being involved in the in the UI development work, and then being involved in the um, in the design work, and then being involved a little bit in the uh, in the backend work as well, and sort of um, just grew along with that project, and then um, and then as soon as the the Aperio Open Academic Environment project kicked off. Um, I sort of I was there um, and I um, yeah uh, got really involved and and tried to sort of help on on all sides of the project and it's it's been going well since. Cool, cool. I mean, we'll speak a bit more about the OEE in a minute, but I just wanted to ask you, with all your experience in two of the top twenty, even ten research institutions in the world, and between cultures, what are the kind of problems universities such as these share when it comes to technology? Um, I mean, the, the main problem culture-wise is just that they are. They tend to be quite far behind in terms of in terms of technology, and especially on the on the educational side of things, because the um, the budget that's available for educational technology tends to be a lot smaller than the budget that's available for um, other types of technology within within an institution. Yeah. And so, so generally, they are they, they are behind the curve. And hmm. um, over the last over the last five years, the the budgets have been shrinking even further. And uh, the IT departments within uh, within universities have becoming smaller, so um, so that there's a larger reliance on uh, on vendors at the moment, um, which puts open source in a little bit more of a difficult spot. Um, I'm still a huge, um, I'm still very much in favor of open source. I think there's a lot of value in the transparency and the um, and for the people involved themselves, there's a lot of value in the sort of collaboration across different institutions and. And if you use all of the feedback from the different places that are involved in an open source project properly, you can get a richer project. Um, and so I think there's a lot of value in there, both from a personal point of view as well as from a from a product point of view. Um, that's 
it's becoming a little bit rare for that to, uh, to, to for that to really happen. And I think the the OE project is still a good example of hmm. um, is a is a very good example of what in what an open source project can deliver in a in a modern era of uh, software as a service uh, platforms. Um, you you mentioned earlier that you know things like um, being able to gain feedback through a range of you know various stakeholders and things like that within a an open source project is very valuable that you can't get through a vendor sort of situation. What what other mm-hmm. um, aspects of or improvements can happen within an open source project um, versus a vendor project? Right, and it isn't just about the it isn't just about the feedback either. It's also about the um, the sort of the different sets of sets of requirements that you get from different places. And if you um, if you listen to them very carefully, you can get you can get a lot of information out of that in order to create a product that mm. actually works for yeah. for multiple institutions. Now, to be fair, some of there are some vendors that do a very good job at uh, at listening to the institutions and turning turning all of that feedback and all of those requirements into into a reasonable project. So that's definitely not exclusive to uh, to open source. Um, other things that are really um, really valuable from an open source point of view is um, I mean, is the sort of is the sort of network of of people that you assemble uh, at mm. those different institutions. I think that's that's really valuable. It creates a, a community of people that you can rely on, and it it doesn't create a single sort of point of failure, which is the vendor itself. But it um, it creates the um, it creates a community of people that evolves over time. And so, if if some of the people fall away in the community, then they'll be replaced by others over time. And so, uh, it tends to be a little bit more more continuous maybe um a little less organized as well but that's that's some of its some of its charm often uh one thing that tends to be very difficult in open source is doing uh doing user experience design very well um just because of all the opinions that are out there um something that in general vendors have been doing a better job at i think um but again i I think the oe project is a good example there of um of how an open source project can do um, can do a much better job at, at providing a decent user experience and a decent user interface. Um, and then and then I'll, I'll come back to architecture as well. I think the the visibility of um, of what happens in a in an open source project is very important in terms of um, in terms of quality control and so on. Um, open source projects have not done a very good job yet at adjusting to the market space in terms of uh, software as a service and cloud and so on. Um, I think the, the OE project started that move for open source to move into that space as well. And it's done so very successfully and I think has paved the way for some of the others that are following now. Great, great, excellent, thank you. Um, do you have any examples of vendor projects that you might have been involved with who have been quite successful and, and cooperative in that kind of way? Um, I, the, the main one that comes to mind would be Instructor Canvas. Um, I think in the learning management space, uh, learning management mm-hmm. system space, they've done they've done a pretty good job, I think, at um, listening to their users. Um, they've mm-hmm. got a lot of people dedicated to that. Uh, they've done a reasonable job at, despite listening to their users, they've kept the user experience um, very basic. Um, and the number of features are limited, and I actually think that really helps them in getting getting more uptake and making something that applies to a wider audience. So, um, I think that's one of the challenges of open source is that you you get all of these requirements, and everyone's everyone's pretty much able to um, to add new features to the product and and get those rolled out, which often um, often causes feature overload. Um, 
I think Instructure Canvas has done a reasonable job at uh, making sure that that doesn't happen, and they've kept their feature set fairly simple, which I think is part of their success. So, hmm. um, so, so I think that's an example of someone that's that's doing of a vendor that's doing it fairly well. Yeah, cool. Um, if if you were to give advice to a specific university, um, and they were you know they were looking at being able to somehow bring together some some of their technology that isn't isn't always fragmented. I think that's one of the biggest problems universities have is this fra- fragmentation throughout the university of technology. What advice would you give them? Um, I mean, fragmentation is definitely a problem, but the um, the sort of the roots of that problem is just the is just historical. It's that uh, they've been sort of almost on an ad hoc basis um, been building all of these building or purchasing or using or um, all of these different systems. And it just, over time, it becomes, um, it becomes much more difficult to, to manage. I don't think that's, I don't think that's necessarily limited to higher education institutions. I just think that organizations that are old and, and large will suffer from these issues over time, that it becomes harder to manage and becomes more fragmented. Um, I think, I mean, that, my main advice to universities would be to um, to not deny the future. Um, I think things like cloud computing they should they should fully embrace it. They should make it part of their services. Um, I mean, one example would be um, I think um, providing a service around Amazon Web Services would be a very good thing for uh, for universities to do, um, so that their researchers, their uh, their students, whoever uh, can actually. Uh, play with virtual machines, play with, um, play with, I mean, spin up VMs for, for doing calculations or whatever. Um, I think in university should be embracing that rather than just uh, preventing it from happening because that just means that the users will go around you. Uh, they'll do it anyway. Uh, and the, the university will no longer be involved, which opens up mm-hmm. a whole bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of other issues. So my, my main advice would be to, to embrace it um, yeah. as much as possible and Great. try and go with the marketplace. Great. Excellent. Um, what about the OEE? I mean, maybe give everyone in your own words an idea of what you feel the OEE provides and who it's trying to serve. Um, so it's the the OEE is is aimed at academic collaboration and networking. So it's it's meant to serve quite a few uh, different types of people. It's meant to serve students for um, small project work, not their actual. Um, not their not their actual sort of core stuff that you do in the in the mm-hmm. learning management system, but if they do small project work or small group work or um, or, or projects or whatever, then uh, very very applicable to them. Mm-hmm. Um, very much designed for uh, for research purposes, research group purposes, uh, research collaboration. Um, it's also it's also aimed at. Um, I mean, staff can definitely use it as well for their sort of the collaboration that they do. Um, and so, so one of the, I mean, it, it has a it has a number of very very important things. I think um, it actually tries to tries to bridge that uh, that divide between between research and and teaching a little bit. Um, it tries to bring those uh, those places of collaboration together. Um, it makes it very easy for you to work with people at other institutions, which is also a very very critical part of that, um, especially on the research side where mm-hmm. cross institutional collaboration is pretty much the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes that very, very easy to do. Um, we have set up um, tendencies for pretty much every higher education institution in the world, um, as well as some, some other types of institutions around the fringes. And um, by doing that and by, 
by hooking that up to all of the access management federations and the institutional sign-on systems, we've made it very easy for people to uh, start collaborating with people at other institutions. They can just they can just invite them in. Those people can come in and uh, just sign in with their regular account, and they just they can just go straight away. And so, so I think we've we've taken away a lot of barriers there in terms of registration and mm. in terms of institutional integration and so on. And I, I think that's that's very important. It's very easy to get started. Mm. Um, and then there's I mean there's a whole range of features which I think are are very valuable. Um, examples would be the um, the sort of it makes it very easy to do group collaboration um, and the the group sharing, which is which is not that great in applications like Google Apps, uh, we actually do very well, I think. So you can very easily share items with groups of people and you can adjust who that group of people is and they get access to everything. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit easier to manage over time. Um, and then we've got some upcoming changes, which will make it a lot easier to, um, to communicate within groups. Um, and I, I think that'll, that'll make it a very, very fun place to use. And, and then everything's tied together through through the activities feed which gives you a good overview of um of what's going on that'll be extended with um with some groups that you might be interested in content that you might be interested in people that you might be interested in so there'll be some opportunities for discovery there as well even across institutions and i think they'll be they'll be very it'll be a very rich experience and a very valuable experience great excellent it covers a lot of lot of um academic research use cases i suppose and mm-hmm. and and really around collaboration and with within groups, um, where do you think potentially it could go if you if you were to kind of put a bit of blue sky thinking against it? Um, I, I I sort of think that it's um, it's sort of focus on on group collaboration will will remain actually, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that's a, I actually think that's a really good area to focus on as well because if you think about it in your day to day life, you pretty much that's pretty much what you do. Um, both as a student, as a researcher, as staff, it's it's collaborating with small groups of people, and you'll have different contexts uh, with different types of collaborations going on at the same time, and uh, a place that sort of marries that up and gives you um, marries that up gives you an overview of everything that's going on, allows you to um, to sort of do some cross fertilization between your between your different contexts when that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of those things are very powerful. The the main play, the main sort of thing where I see DOE grow much in the um, in the near to to sort of medium term future is around the is around the discovery aspect and around the right. the ability to find to find other groups of people or individuals or um, or content items that you you might be very interested in and you're not aware of and that could be both um, that could be both within your own institution it could be um, within your discipline at a different institution or or across institutions it could be. It could be at a place that you've you've never been to and you, you're completely unfamiliar with. So it could be um, something that most people will use things like conferences for, hmm. uh, but it could be a nice extension to to that sort of workflow that we see day to day in real life today. Hmm. And based on where you've been working recently, um, and maybe um, other than collaboration, where do you see academic research moving to next? Sort of like you know, how is it going to change from now based on the influence of today's or tomorrow's technology? Um, not sure if technology is the thing that's going to change it most. I think the, mm. um, the thing that might change it most is, is, um, sort of government policy. Mm. Um, okay. and we can, we can definitely see that in the UK where, um, open access is pretty much becoming a requirement for, for a lot of the funding that researchers get. And the next step will be, uh, will be around research data, mm. um, and will be, 
will be the requirement for researchers to make their research data available together with, with the publication that they produce. And I actually think that's a really good thing. Um, I think if you're trying to uh, read up on recent research and, and actually try to implement some of it, it's, it's often very, very difficult because of the lack of, uh, of that data being available. Um, and so I think that's going to be a very good move. It's probably going to spread uh, slowly across the world. Um, and actually, the OE might very well have a place in that as well, mm. uh, just because of its uh, just because of its nature as a, uh, a sort of content centric collaboration platform. Um, it might very well be a place where you that you do a lot of the work that you're doing in, and then when you're done, when you've published, um, it could be it could just be a flick of a switch to actually make that available um, in an in a sort of open access way. So there might be. There might very well be a place for the OE there as well, and it's 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 set up very well to uh, to cover some of those needs already. Right. Okay. Going back to collaboration, do you think researchers are, are really taking full advantage of current capabilities of of online collaboration today? Uh, definitely not. No. Um, it's still very much a place where most people will use uh, will use email to do their collaboration. They'll they'll use email to send. Um, send files back and forth, um, which makes it very hard to keep track of it and so on. So um, so they're very much not using uh, technology at its, uh, at its most yet. There's, there's things like Slack that are, um, that are sort of starting to improve that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think the, uh, there's things like the OE that makes the, the, that, that are starting to, to offer some opportunities there as well to make it, to make it easier to, to get people together, to get an overview of what's going on, to, um, to make it easy to keep track of different versions, uh, to see what's been changing between different versions, and to sort of keep that all accessible in a single place, which I think is really important. So there, um, it's definitely getting better, and um, but there's still a lot of sort of manual, clumsy, um, slow email collaboration going on, and that's yeah. over time it becomes very hard to manage. Yeah, sure is. Um, what about higher education? You've been involved in learning management systems for some time now. And you continue to actually be working on them now. How much further do you think they've progressed, sort of, since their inception? Um, I mean, they're they're still very much the same beast. I think um, the yeah the, there there's two main changes that have happened since uh, since I started playing with them. There's the um, there's a sort of user experience side of things, which has gotten quite a bit better. Um, there's examples like Instructure Canvas, which does it's still not a, a terrific job, I would say, but it does a much better job than the uh, than the sort of previous generation at providing a, a consistent and and fairly easy user experience. Uh, there's recent changes in the Sakai learning management system, for example, where they uh, they've done a ton of improvements on the user interface. They've made it responsive, um, so it's it's all becoming quite a bit friendlier to use. Mm. Um, although I think there's still a way to go there. Um, and then the second thing that has happened is the sort of standards side of things. It's the, it's the LTIs of the world, mm. um, which make it easier to plug functionality into a learning management system. Um, that has advantages and disadvantages. The advantage being that um, you don't have to have this massive product that contains everything um, and, and has to contain everything. You can sort of bring things in from the outside. You can have smaller chunks of functionality that you bring in as you need them. The big disadvantage of that is that it creates an even less coherent user experience uh, because you'll have lots of different um, 
I mean, it's it's like it's like apps on your phone, but without any without any guidelines, without any restrictions. So you're essentially plugging different, right. completely different yeah. uh, user experience paradigms into into a single place. And I think I think that's a huge challenge for the market space. And mm. I think that's something that the market should be looking at solving. Uh, and I think there might be ways in which that can be solved. Um, I mean, going forward, I think I sort of agree with most people there that the learning management system is not going to go away. Um, it's probably going to become smaller, um, and it might no longer be be the center of the of the sort of learning universe. It might just be um, one of those one of those uh, one of the parts of the ecosystem that you go to as you need it. And it'll probably be it'll probably be focused on the management side of things. Um, so it'll be focused on the um, on the assignments, on the grading, um, yeah. on things like that. Uh, and I, I think that's fine. So it's it sort of turns turns it inside down a little bit. It'll become part of a larger ecosystem. It won't be the center anymore, but it'll provide those critical uh, management capabilities. Mm, definitely. Um, what what about the this this movement of more open, less structured learning? Is that something you believe in and and see technology being able to um, to deliver on? Very much, but I need to get my charger. Sorry, Sam. Okay. <laughs> I need to cut this out. Small technical <laughs> issue. Yeah, so we're back. Nico just had to get his charger. Um, Sorry, Sam. I'm all set. Okay. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. What about this movement of more open, less structured learning? Is um, is this something you believe in or can see technology playing a big part in? Um, it's definitely something I believe in. I, I, I don't think it's the answer for, um, for all courses in the future, but I think... Um, I think it's definitely a model that's going to become more important. Um, and it has been fairly important already, but the technology has done a fairly poor job at, at supporting that. Mm -hmm. um, so the the traditional learning management system is very much a top-down system where um, one or a few people are in charge of the sort of whole experience and most of the other people consume uh, consume what's in there. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think there's a big market space for the sort of more uh, the sort of less structured um, course experiences, the flipped classroom, as they refer to it. Um, I think some of that can be can be plugged into a learning management system. I think other systems like the um, like the OEE could do um, can do a really good job at providing some support for that as well. Um, where I mean, we are already seeing that the OE is being used for things like um, like collaborative writing courses um, and, and other types of courses where the experience is a lot more. Is a lot less hierarchical. It's, it's, it's more flat where the students themselves contribute to um, to the work and to the materials and so on. And um, so, so I definitely think there's a place for that as well. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Mm. Um, but the the technology so far has done a poor job at supporting it. Um, and I think I think the OE actually uh, provides a potential solution there. Right. Do you think that this kind of less structured sort of flipped classroom uh, concept is this something that's sort of specific to a particular level of education? Um, 
Not really. I think I, I think you can. I think it's applicable in um, in K twelve. It's applicable in high school. It's applicable in um, in higher education. I, I think it's sort of um, it goes over all levels of education. I think right. um, there's there's the sort of um, what they probably refer to as the large classes, like the the large biology introduction or the large physics introduction that you get at your university, which are um, which might be less less relevant to that. I think there's a certain um, there's probably a certain size limit um, in terms of how big a class can be, where where the sort of very unstructured experience starts to become very difficult. Hmm. Um, so there are some of those which need structure. They're just aimed at providing some of some of the basics and and so on, which which will probably stay as they are. Um, but it's especially the smaller ones um, where where sort of more collaboration is involved, I, I think those are most applicable. But but it goes across all different levels of education. It's not limited to higher education. Right, cool. And do you have any, um, have you yourself experienced any really good examples of, of this kind of collaboration, this kind of learning? Um, I, I think the best examples that I've gotten are the sort of project-based, um, the project-based courses. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are the courses where I, I personally sort of learned the most. Um, it essentially gave me gave me a, a project that I could relate to, that I could sink my teeth into, um, and and through doing that project, and I would get really, um, I would try and get the most out of projects like that, and and through doing that, I would learn. I would tend to learn a lot more. I tend to get a lot more practical experience, um, and I would. I would tend to enjoy it more. Um, so I'm I'm a huge opponent. Uh, I'm a huge um, I'm a huge fan of uh, the sort of project based teaching, which again is something that the the OE is very well set up for. Yeah, cool, interesting. Um, finally, um, I just wanted to sort of ask you what drives you to push towards better serving students, instructors, or academics with with technology that you uh, that you help to create. I mean, mostly because I think it's a very it's a very valuable thing to do. Um, it's it's a sector. It's a it's a bunch of people that's been underserved for a very long time. And I think mm. I think it's definitely worthwhile trying to uh, trying to make their experiences and, and their lives a little bit better, um, especially given how much they pay for their tuition. I think uh, I think they deserve to get a little bit more uh, uh, quality in terms of their their technological experiences. Um, and and yeah, I mean if. if if by doing this and by by allowing by making it easier for people to work together and by making it easier for people to connect and find each other, um, if we can, if we can only, I mean, if if only we made it possible for um, a few people to to work with each other and discover something or do some research together that's groundbreaking that would otherwise not have gotten together, I think that's that's a world worthwhile reason for doing this. Mm, great, that's really that's really cool. That's very valuable. Thank you for your insights, Nico. Um, so yeah, yeah, so thank you very much for joining us on this first interview session uh, for the podcast. And uh, my pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I've I've enjoyed talking to you about this today, and we've got lots of great ideas and perspectives to think about. Um, so if you'd like to join the conversation and add to what we've been talking about, please follow up at oaeproject.org where you can find a post on this interview with Nico. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter at OAE Project. Uh, and lastly, if you'd like to hear uh, an interview from a particular person you have in mind or from communities in edtech, research, collaboration, institutional leadership, or teaching and learning, please drop us a line at OAEProject.com.
www.nico.org forward slash contact. So thanks again, Nico. It's good talking to you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for joining in. My name is Sam. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know in iTunes with a rating and a comment, and that'll mean we can keep improving our content for you. In the meantime, thank you for joining us. See you later.